Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Hey gang, welcome to the Weaver Real Estate Podcast, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the real estate industry and industry trends. Reminder that the content you're listening to is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute tax or accounting advice. You like what you hear though? Of course you do. You want to learn more? Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We release new episodes every week. Check us both out on LinkedIn and on every social media platform, and head over to Weaver.com to download show notes and white papers with our content. Brought to you exclusively by Weaver and Tidwell, that's Weaver.com. Welcome, everyone. It's great to uh, have you here with us today. Um, I trust that everyone is doing well, and uh, it's hard to believe it's uh, almost the end of the school year here uh, at SMU. Um, But luckily, we all, as we all know, life is quickly returning to some sense of normalcy, and and we are very much looking forward to returning to full normalcy, full normalcy sooner rather than later. Um, Well, today, to borrow a movie title from Woody Allen, today we get to ask the chance to ask everything we ever wanted to know about real estate taxes, but we're afraid to ask. Um, And so with that in mind, I want to encourage everyone, please, please share your questions via the Q&A function, and we're going to try our best to answer each of them during the session today. So my guest today is Rob Nowak. Rob is a tax partner with Weaver. Rob has more than 25 years in public uh, experience in public accounting with a focus on supporting uh, businesses and family offices in real estate and construction industries. I had a pleasure of getting to know Rob through a mutual connection this past year and he has quickly become my go-to source on understanding tax policies and strategies. So Rob, I just wanna thank you for your willingness to spend a, a few minutes today talking today about the changes we um, are seeing take shape with the current presidential administration and what's going on in the world of taxes. Um, so with that in mind, let's just jump right into it. And I think one of the, uh, the key areas that's, that's been talked about a lot and I think it would be a good place to start is let's talk about capital gains. Well, Joseph, I want to thank you, uh, SMU and the Cox School of Business for allowing us to be part of this today. I, I'm going to take issue with one thing you said, and that's we're returning to normalcy. Okay. Tomorrow would normally be tax day, right? April 15th. True, true. But yet for the second year in a row, the goalpost was moved somewhat abruptly, May 15th for, for most of the country. And June 15th for us here in Texas is now tax day. So it's not normal for many of us accountants. So it, it, it's, a, it's a pleasure that I actually get to get you on the-, the Abs- absolute, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, when you look at um, some of the proposals that were advanced during the election season, one of the ones uh, that the Biden administration spent time on was sort of equalizing rate structures between- um, different taxpayers, high income versus, let's say, moderate income taxpayers. And, and a specific rate that was uh, talked about was an adjustment of the capital gains rate. Okay. And it's not just necessarily a wholesale adjustment of the rate. A proposal was, and, and again, we're not talking about enacted legislation. We're talking about legislation yet to be introduced, but sort of have a roadmap of what that might be. 
where cap gains rates might increase, let's say from 20% to 28% or from 20% to the highest ordinary rate, but only for those taxpayers who meet certain income thresholds. And that income threshold might be a million of income. It might be $400,000 of income, but we're not talking about a wholesale adjustment of the cap gain rate structure. Now, with that in mind, I said, you know, cap gain rates could go from 20 to 28 or 20 to ordinary. It'd be interesting. If they go from 20 to 28%, it would actually be a revision back to the Reagan capital gain tax rates. Mm. Cap gain rates were adjusted uh, from, you know, ordinary rates down to 28%. Um, and, you know, we refer to things as the Trump tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, the Biden tax cuts. Well, this would actually revert us back to the Reagan tax cuts, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So obviously one thing that's important to most real estate investors is or carried interests. Yes. And, and I have read some thoughts out there that, uh, that they could be equally taxed as ordinary income. What, what do you think? There are different types of transactions that are relevant to carried interest rules. Capital gains are impacted by the carried interest rules, whereby if a carried interest or you know, what we call a promote interest mm -hmm. is not held for three years, so three years or less, that gain is recharacterized from long-term to short-term. Interestingly enough, uh, within the regulations, there is a provision whereby what are called 1231 assets, not to geek out on you on code sections, but generally assets that are used in a trader business, so think of rental properties, mm -hmm. are not subject to the carried interest rules. But it's not that clear cut because there is nonetheless a presumption that let's say triple net leases or credit leases may not qualify as so-called 1231 assets and carried interest transactions that involve carried interest, excuse me, that involve triple net lease properties would be subject to the carried interest rules. Um, the bonus in all this is the code does not define what a triple net lease is. And many of us in the real estate community have, have, have I don't, don't wanna say struggled, but we've had to make interpretations looking at you know, the guts of a lease to determine is it truly triple net or is it, you know, merely a multi-tenant lease that, uh, you know, contains general cam charges. So that's still a complexity within carried interest impacting real estate that has yet to, I think, be fully vetted. And hopefully yeah. we see some regulations that, that further help us define that. Another interesting thing that I, I've read about is the, is there any potential threat about mark-to-market capital gains, right? And this, you know, the idea of founder income, like what, what do you, um, what do you think? I, I think every change in administration mark to market somehow has reared its head. We don't see that necessarily as an element of the Biden plan. There is an element of mark to market that potentially uh, impacts uh, state tax. And something that has been advanced is, you know, we get a step up in basis, um, you know, upon passing, um, which is going to impact real estate assets. So, you know, we step up those assets to fair market value, we're going to pay our estate tax, but now those assets are stepped up, right? We get, we get that step up in value. Um, there is a, uh, a provision that's been put forth by um, the administration, I shouldn't say that's been put forth, that's been, you know, proposed during the election cycle that would significantly 
revamp those rules and could present some significant estate tax challenges? Well, um, that obviously uh, lends itself to discussing 1031 exchanges, right? And that's probably the biggest topic out there. So there's been a lot of debate over 1031s, really going back to 2017, right? When the Trump tax cuts were put in place uh, with the Tax Reform Act, the rules were changed and the goalposts moved such that non-real estate, which had previously qualified for 1031 treatment, no longer qualified. So that's our personal type of property. So go forward, only real estate qualifies for 1031 treatment. So it's not as if 1031, which by the way, is not a, a loophole. I hear it referred to as such. 1031 has been in the code since it was written. Okay. And, and it's intended to allow taxpayers to defer gain if they're reinvesting value in replacement property that they've sold. However, when those rules were rewritten to strictly apply to real estate, they applied to all taxpayers, regardless of income level. Two different thoughts that have been put forth by the current administration. One is to repeal 1031s wholesale. Another provision is to potentially repeal 1031s for these higher income taxpayers. And again, we, we define higher income taxpayers different ways when you look at different proposals, either $400,000 of income or a million dollars worth of income. I think that will get a little bit murkier when you consider that you know, much commercial real estate, industrial real estate and rental is owned through flow through entities, whether that be partnerships or some S corporation structures, but mostly partnerships and LLCs. How do you measure that taxable income? You know, much like the investment interest rules and the 199A rules, the 20% pass-through rules being measured at either partnership or individual levels, it's just going to create some additional complexity. I mean, but do you think there could be a, a big impact to the liquidity in the market? I mean, uh... If, if there is this reduction in the... I think, and I've had some discussions with QIs as to, you know, some of the surveys that they've seen as to how it, it may impact liquidity in the market. There's going to be an impact, okay? Mm -hmm. We know that. Um, this is a major provision that's been in the code for the last 107 years. How it impacts it, I don't think we're going to know until... Uh, probably until it actually happens, if in fact it happens. Right, right. Um, well, we had our first question came in and it was actually going to be my next question. So great timing. Um, do you think that we could see any reversals to the bonus depreciation gained during the, the from the Trump tax act? So it, it's interesting. The CARES Act, which was passed in March of 2020, fixed the what's called the qualified improvement property glitch that existed uh, post tax reform. And that QIP glitch was, you know, interior improvements to property were intended to be classified as 15 year property eligible for bonus depreciation. Because of a few drafting errors, uh, that was not made clear in the code. So that type of property was dropped into a 39 year depreciation bucket and obviously written off over a much longer period. Well, uh, that was obviously fixed, as I said. Now do we look at rolling that back and, and taking that what has been fixed as 15-year property and calling it 39-year property or something else? Uh, we don't see anything hard and fast advanced, but I will tell you this. As it comes to bonus depreciation, you know, I'm, I'm 
was practicing. And I remember when there was 30% bonus depreciation, 50% bonus depreciation, bonus went away, it went back to 50%, then it went to 100%. It's sort of one of those things that will always exist in one form or another mm -hmm. to now do away with it entirely, I, I would think would be problematic. Um, however, I, I stopped making predictions about what you know, could happen uh, without a formal plan back in 2017, because a lot of us didn't see many of those changes coming. It certainly could be on the table. Um, and when you look at how tax legislation is now crafted in, in terms of having to meet reconciliation objectives, that might be something that has to be thrown in in order to make another provision feasible from a budget perspective. So it's possible. We haven't necessarily seen a commitment to it, though. What about... And, and, oh, go ahead, sorry. And I was going to say, as you talk about impacting the real estate industry, that to me would be a significant impact, not maybe not as felt as much as 1031, but depreciation touches everybody. Absolutely. 1031 only touches exchangers. Not everyone does an exchange. Right, right, right. Um, what about the mortgage interest deduction? Any, have you heard any discussion around that? So we've seen dis discussions around itemized deductions in general, such that uh, itemized deductions may be modified to provide no more of a benefit than, let's say 28 or 30%. So there is an existing cap on mortgage interest. We know that you can only uh, deduct mortgage interest up to a specific threshold based on the amount of debt that you have. Okay. Um, to provide an additional layer of overall limitation of that is something that's on the table. And again, that may be for higher income earners as opposed to those who are at a lower threshold. Again, we don't know if that's 400,000. We don't know if it's a million. I would expect to see perhaps some modification to the state tax deduction at the same time. You know, this impacted folks who are in jurisdictions and states with higher real estate tax multiples. Mm -hmm. Real estate taxes post-2017 were limited to $10,000. All state taxes were limited to $10,000. The reason for that was um, Congress looked at allowing a larger state tax deduction as essentially providing a subsidy to state governments, giving them you know, license to increase personal tax rates, pass-through rates, and real estate taxes. The intent was to see those rates reduce. What it effectively did was you know, penalize some folks wholesale who were living in some higher taxing states. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's shift a little bit. Um, in Biden's American Jobs Plan, he made it clear that he wants to increase corporate tax rates. How could those changes affect the real estate industry overall, in your opinion? Well, you know, we have to go back and look at what happened when the rates were reduced. And again, we're, we're sort of going back to 2017 and we're, we're comparing the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act with what's promoted, proposed under the American Jobs Plan. So corporate tax rates were reduced from 35% to 21%. Biden's plan sets uh, serves to, to restate that back to 28%. So going from 21 to 28%, sort of cutting it in half. Well, what happened in 2017, um, there was a thought that some of the luster, let's say, of a REIT type of a structure might have worn off a bit because of the change in rates. And that even a loss of luster on some flow-through structures like S-corporations and even some LLCs might have lost some luster because now our rates started to equalize a bit. If we move back to a 28% rate, 
um, any of those concerns are probably going to be undone. In fact, I'm certain after listening to the presentation on the American Jobs Plan, there are some folks who did have some alternative corporate structures in place that converted to a taxable C-Corp structure that are now wondering how good of an idea that was and are asking their accountants, how do we unwind what we did or now plan around uh, what these changes could be? I think one of the, the biggest um, impacts is going to be the alternative minimum tax that will likely be reinstated under any American jobs plan. The AMT for corporations still exists for AMT, but for corporations was repealed. Okay, so we haven't lived with that for three years. Well, this proposal would bring back AMT and it might bring it back in several different fashions. Um, the AMT rate on corporations would, all, would be 21%. So th that is going to result in corporations sort of refiguring their income based on a series of, of regular tax rules and alternative minimum tax rules, and then assess a minimum tax of 21%. There also is a proposal for uh, what I would describe as a, a book tax. So we have book versus taxable income. So financial statement income versus taxable income, and we pay tax based on our taxable income. But there is thought and a proposal for a 15% on book income. So what we may see here is multiple layers of minimum tax on corporations. We don't know how this will all play out, but we do know that there is clearly going to be an emphasis on adjusting tax rates for corporations. One of the other interesting proposals as it involves corps, and it remains to be seen how this may impact the, the REIT world, um, is a, a thought to coordinate tax rates amongst developed and developing countries in order to provide that entities cannot relocate from let's say the United States to Ireland or to another country to reduce their overall worldwide tax rate. That's going to involve, you know, obviously a number of treaties, a number of parties outside the United States. Very interested to see how that unfolds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I know the various um, real estate tax credits, this is new market tax credits, historic tax credits, they lost some shine, lost some value with decreases mm -hmm. in the corporate tax rates during the Trump administration. So what's your perspective on these credit programs if corporate tax rates go up? Credit, it all, it all comes down to the credit pricing. So let's, let's take low-income housing tax credits as an example. I have significant experience in that industry. Credit pricing is going to be driven by economics. Um, so, you know, are we in, in a bull versus bear, so to speak, from a corporate profit perspective, and also tax rates, because I'm util if I'm a corporation, I'm buying and utilizing those credits to offset some corporate tax liability. Okay, that's, that's how the credit market effectively works. And the pricing of those credits is based upon those variables. Well, if, if the tax credit is not worth as much to me because of my tax liability, the pricing of that credit is naturally going to come down, which is going to impact perhaps, you know, deals in the pipeline, as well as capital that's flowing into those deals. So I think there's going to be an inverse relationship, higher corporate tax rates, probably a more robust credit market. And again, I'm just speaking about low income housing credits, but, you know, you could be talking about new market credits at the same time. I think those, those industries will see um, an uptick in activity. Well, and that should actually be teed up alongside the American Rescue Plan, right? Where he's- Absolutely. Yeah, so- I, I mean, a-, a an aspect of you know the American Rescue Plan, and I think 
go forward legislation is going to be incentives to encourage more affordable housing. And I think there's a difference between more affordable housing and traditional affordable housing, creating opportunities to move taxpayers and homeowners into the position of being homeowners, not renters. Whereas our low existing section 42 low income housing tax credit program favors a rental model, but we need to transition those folks from being renters into owners to build up equity so that they can then move on to the next phase of housing in their life. And it's interesting, there's a lot of models out there with um, quasi nonprofits and private industry to try to promote that. And I think we're going to see legislation that's crafted to um, support that. One, one thing I wanna step back to, we, we touched on, on REITs a moment earlier. Can I walk back to yeah, that yeah, for please. a moment? You know, it, obviously during the pandemic, everyone knows that the retail industry has struggled mightily. And it doesn't matter if it's hotel, traditional restaurant and brick and mortar retail, big box, everyone has suffered and struggled. I was reading a report, I think it was through CoStar about the number of vacancies just in, in let's say lower Manhattan. And my, my partner, uh, Charlie Anastasia and I, uh, who runs, uh, sort of runs our REIT practice, we were having this discussion about, you know, what can Congress do to help those tenants, right? Well, you know, there, there is an availability of REITs to make an investment in the equity of their tenants, but that threshold is set very low, okay, 10%. There's a provision that was advanced by bipartisan provision. I saw that, by, yeah. by two By two congresspersons from Illinois, an area hit very hard by the pandemic in a retail context, to um, up that threshold to 50%. I think that is a, a tremendous example of private industry um, that will come to the front to help other private industry. It's not necessarily a government incentive. Does it cost the government more? Does it cost the American taxpayer more? Not really. What we are doing is, is loosening a set of rules to allow a certain type of income to be classified as, quote, you know, good read income versus not. Um, and it, I think it's a very interesting proposal that creatively will help stimulate that sector. In a, in, a, in a passive way for the government and a very active way for you know, private enterprise. Absolutely. I mean, you're seeing already, you know, some of the large mall owners that have been buying and taking large equity positions in, in a lot of their tenants. And so this obviously will help encourage that even more, mm -hmm. probably save a lot of, of, of retailers from going dark. And that legislation was somewhat drafted in concert uh, with leaders from the REIT industry. Um, these particular congresspersons convened a committee um, that was made up of public and private individuals to say, well, how do we fix this? So, you know, in my mind, when we're talking about when we see a lot of division, this is, you know, everyone coming together to really help the retail sector it really was a, a great thing to wow. seek uh, be introduced. Um, what about Biden's infrastructure plan? Do you think that there's uh, any potential changes there that could be coming alongside the infrastructure plan that could affect taxes? development? Well, I, I think it's going to impact development. How it impacts um, tax uh, remains to be seen because many of the corporate tax proposals that we just touched on are contained in the plan. Do we see that that plan is going to be um, large enough and persuasive enough that allows some of these other provisions that have not yet been talked about or introduced, in other words, changes in the individual tax rate structure, changes in 1031s, to be tacked on to the end of that bill? in order to help pay for some of that. Possibly, um, I think that could be an impact. When you look at 
you know, long overdue infrastructure in this cha changes in this country, though, and improvements. What I'm going to be excited to see is if if we upgrade our roads, our bridges, our rail, our telecommunications, how does that further impact the sprawl and the development of, let's say, the suburbs in you know a greater metroplex type area? That's going to be the thing that's that's really going to be exciting to see. We're probably not going to know for ten or fifteen years what the the impact might be. Although um, you know, in Dallas, uh, development moves fast, so we might know. Who knows? We might know in six months. Well, I mean, but then you could also look at I-35 and for every portion of I-35 they finish, I feel like they pick up and start another and redo another and <laughs> it's always going. Absolutely. Um, so going along this whole um, discussion around infrastructure, but also kind of going back to our initial question about cap gains, um, what do you think about opportunity zones, right? Because that is that, you know, they came out, it's a bipartisan um, during the Trump era, mm -hmm. uh, is a way of deferring again capital gains, eliminating capital gains. Mm -hmm. um, any thoughts there on the viability of opportunity zones going forward, um, particularly if we do see an increase in cap gains? So, you know, the, the gain isn't permanently deferred, gains were okay. deferred until the end uh, of, or I should say, until 2026. So until the end of 25. The initial so, gain, so correct. The, but whatever the, the, you, the initial yeah. gain, and then there is a deferral of some buildup of gain mm -hmm. um, without getting you know too deep into the weeds of the rules. But the intention was to spur development in underdeveloped areas. And the best way to do that, again, parallel to the low-income housing tax credit program, is make it um, uh, create a tax incentive, right? That's how Congress can, can motivate private industry in order to get something done, so to speak. So was that mission accomplished? When you look at the way opportunity zones were picked, some were picked by the federal government, but also governors were given some latitude to designate certain opportunity zones. You look at them in certain areas and geographies and you go, you know, how did that piece of property end up in an opportunity zone? And why are we putting up um, high-end retail, high-end multifamily, residential, or others in this area. Is that really helping the constituency in that market? And current administration looked at it and said, it's a good plan, no doubt, but is it having the intended consequence of revitalizing those areas? So we expect to see some changes to op zones to encourage the type of investment and spending that was originally encouraged. It, it's unlikely to see the plan be scrapped Mm -hmm. because there are, are elements of it that, that clearly worked for the intended purpose. But you probably see a retooling of it and a shift that places a greater emphasis on how those projects are going to benefit the constituency they were intended to provide the benefit to. Mm -hmm. And probably some coordination with nonprofits, with other government agencies to get those projects done and get the right projects done in those markets. Right. Okay. Uh I, by the way, everyone, if anyone has any uh, questions, uh, please feel free. Uh, otherwise, I, I've, I've got two kind of closing questions. Um, as you look to work with your clients, um, what is exciting you the most um, right now and from a tax strategy standpoint? But conversely, what's also has the potentially to potentially keep you up late at night and have you worry a little bit? 
Um, I might be the only person listening or speaking who gets excited about thinking about tax strategy. Maybe not, <laughs> but, but um, you know, when you just look at the amount of development that continues in this country and has continued during the pandemic, that's really exciting. What's exciting for me is the fact that real estate has continued to lead the way in sort of helping to pull us out of the, the pandemic and can, has a continued large role in doing that. So working with clients around land development type strategies, um, helping to navigate the carried interest rules, et cetera, those are the things that are, are really exciting because we know those rules are gonna be with us for a period of time. And I think at no other time in our nation's tax history since probably 1986, have we as a community and a practice had the ability to deliver as much impact as we do today. So we always say in public accounting, they're always something new literally in the last three or four years, there's been something new every day and that's really exciting. Um, the concerning piece to me is always unintended consequences. And when the 2017 act was passed, it was passed very quickly. So, you know, drafted and debated within about 60 days. Prior to that, the 86 act was drafted and debated over two and a half years. Okay, so we went from, we're gonna take a long time, be very thoughtful and very deliberate, to let's just get something done and we'll figure it out later. Um, it keeps me up at night a little bit knowing what that recent history is and that there hasn't been significant turnover in Congress. Yeah. We can't go that same route again. This has to be a very thoughtful discussion about how this policy will impact not only the real estate industry, uh, but just the taxpayers in general. Yeah. Well, Rob, look, it's, it's always great talking with you. Uh, I always have fun when we get in these conversations. Likewise. Um, oh, let's, uh, well, we've got, if we got two seconds here, we've got some questions that have, came in, that have come in. So one is, if the capital gains tax rate is increased, do you see people who invested in qualified opportunity zone projects blowing up those structures in order to avoid the higher capital gain tax? Well, it, there's, a, there's a few corollaries there. Potentially, yes. Um, you had asked a, a question, and, and opposones and 1031s somewhat go hand in hand in terms of tax deferral strategies, one temporary, one permanent, okay? Um, but do we see folks making different prospective decisions about deals and say, well, you know what? Cap, gate reigns are, cap gain rates are likely to go up at some point in the future. Am I better off recognizing my gain today at 20% versus deferring it into what could be a 28%? or higher tax year in the future. I think some folks will start to make that, start to make that a discussion point right. with the tax providers. And that goes along with, uh, you know, sort of blowing up the, not those QOZ structures. Uh, another question that had came in, um, you know, do we expect cap gain rates to be changed, which we talked about a bit. Uh, the expectation is there's going to be some change. What form it takes, whether it's an increase in rate or, an increase in rate by tax bracket is what remains to be seen because we've seen both proposals out there from the administration during the election. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what do you see as the prospects for a wealth tax? Someone has asked. Uh, I, I, I hope it's not uh, a, a big prospect. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, again, we do have a wealth tax. It's called the estate tax. Okay, we just have to wait until you know, until someone's untimely demise in order to pay that tax, okay? 
if structured properly, there are obviously opportunities to mitigate estate tax. For large estates, very challenging to avoid it entirely. So there is a state tax that is paid. But, but right, that, that, so, so they're going to go along with that. There's another question that came out to you, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but do you think this concept of the elimination of a step-up basis will occur for estate tax purposes? Well, I, I can only tell you what's what was on the president's fact sheet and has remained on the fact sheet um, since he declared his candidacy. And, and that calls for a significant revision in estate tax. Several different, several different proposals. One is the elimination of the step up. Number two is a significant change in the estate tax exclusion. Right, so right now, 11 and a half million per person. There's talk of scaling it back to five and a half, scaling it back to three and a half. Effectively, what existed before the exemption rate started to creep up and up. And I hate to say I'm old enough to remember when the exemption was a little more than 500,000 per person. So it has changed quite a bit in the last yeah. 25, 25 plus years. Uh, but, but again, the, some of the focus here is on rolling back, not necessarily creating brand new law, brand new indexes or brand new levels, but let's roll back to what already existed at some point in time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what's so interesting right now is if, if all of these proposed changes could spur on liquidity in the market, right? Mm -hmm. As well as defer liquidity in the market. And, and it'll be interesting to kind of see how this all plays out uh, because it is not that all of these tax policies are going to unilaterally push us in one direction. They, they have, there is definitely a push and pull happening, it sounds like. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we hope that as legislation is crafted, um, it's taken the economics into account. It's taken that push-pull into account, and that it you know, truly becomes a bipartisan effort. That's going to be the best result for the average American taxpayer. Let's hope for bipartisan for sure. Absolutely, and I think we'll get there. Yeah. All right, Rob. Well, it's always great visiting with you. I want to thank you for taking time to visit with the group today, and I think we got through everyone's questions and uh, lots more to come. So. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Thanks, Joseph. And thanks again to uh, Cox School of Business for having us. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next month on our next webinar. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.